Chapter Three of Clotel. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Clotel by William Wells Brown. Chapter Three: The Negro Chase. We shall now return to Natchez, where we left Currer in the hands of the Methodist parson. For many years, Natchez has enjoyed a notoriety for the inhumanity and barbarity of its inhabitants and the cruel deeds perpetrated there, which have not been equaled in any other city in the southern states. The following advertisements, which we take from a newspaper published in the vicinity, will show how they catch their Negroes, who believe in the doctrine that all men are created free. Negro Dogs The undersigned, having bought the entire pack of Negro dogs, of the Hay and Allen stock, he now proposes to catch runaway Negroes. His charges will be $3 a day for hunting and $15 for catching a runaway. He resides three and one-half miles north of Livingston, near the Lower Jones Bluff Road. November 6, 1845. Notice. The subscriber, lying on Carraway Lake on Hose Bayou, in Carroll Parish, 16 miles on the road leading from Bayou Mason to Lake Providence, is ready with a pack of dogs to hunt runaway Negroes at any time. These dogs are well trained, and are known throughout the parish. Letters addressed to me at Providence will secure immediate attention. My terms are five dollars per day for hunting the trails, whether the Negro is caught or not. Where a twelve-hours trail is shown, and the Negro not taken, no charge is made. For taking a Negro, twenty-five dollars, and no charge made for hunting. November twenty-sixth, 1847. These dogs will attack a Negro at their master's bidding, and cling to him as the bulldog will cling to a beast. Many are the speculations as to whether the negro will be secured alive or dead when these dogs once get on his track. A slave hunt took place near Natchez, a few days after Currer's arrival, which was calculated to give her no favorable opinion of the people. Two slaves had run off owing to severe punishment. The dogs were put upon their trail, the slaves went into the swamps with the hope that the dogs, when put on their scent, would be unable to follow them through the water. The dogs soon took to the swamp, which lies between the highlands, which was now covered with water, waist-deep. Here these faithful animals, swimming nearly all the time, followed the zigzag course, the torturous twistings and windings of these two fugitives, who, it was afterwards discovered, were lost, sometimes scenting the tree wherein they had found a temporary refuge from the mud and water. At other places where the deep mud had pulled off a shoe, and they had not taken time to put it on again, for two hours and a half, for four or five miles, did men and dogs wade through this bushy, dismal swamp, surrounded with grim-visaged alligators, who seemed to look on with jealous eye at this encroachment of their hereditary domain. Now losing the trail, then slowly and dubiously taking it off again, until they triumphantly threaded it out, bringing them back to the river, where it was found that the negroes had crossed their own trail, near the place of starting. In the meantime, a heavy shower had taken place, putting out the trail. The negroes were now at least four miles ahead. It is well known to hunters that it requires the keenest scent and the best blood to overcome such obstacles, and yet these persevering and sagacious animals conquered every difficulty. The slaves now made a straight course for the Baton Rouge and Bayou Sarah Road, about four miles distant. Feeling hungry now, after their morning walk, and perhaps thirsty too, they went about half a mile off the road, and ate a good hearty, substantial breakfast. 
Negroes must eat, as well as other people, but the dogs will tell on them. Here for a moment the dogs are at fault, but soon unravel the mystery, and bring them back to the road again, and now what before was wonderful becomes almost a miracle. Here in this common highway, the thoroughfare for the whole country around through mud and through mire, meeting wagons and teams in different solitary wayfarers, and what above all is most astonishing, actually running through a gang of negroes, their favorite game, who were working on the road, they pursue the track of the two negroes. They even ran for eight miles to the very edge of the plain, the slaves near them for the last mile. At first they would fain believe it some hunter chasing deer. Nearer and nearer the whimpering pack presses on, the delusion begins to dispel. All at once the truth flashes upon them like a glare of light. Their hair stands on end. Tis Tabor with his dogs. The scent becomes warmer and warmer. What was an irregular cry now deepens into one ceaseless roar as the relentless pack rolls on after its human prey. It puts one in mind of Actaeon and his dogs. They grow desperate and leave the road in the vain hope of shaking them off. Vain hope, indeed. The momentary cessation only adds new zest to the chase. The cry grows louder and louder. The yelp grows short and quick, sure indication that the game is at hand. It is a perfect rush upon the part of the hunters, while the negroes call upon their weary and jaded limbs to do their best, but they falter and stagger beneath them. The breath of the hounds is almost upon their very heels, and yet they have a vain hope of escaping these sagacious animals. They can run no longer. The dogs are upon them. They hastily attempt to climb a tree, and as the last one is nearly out of reach, the catch-dog seizes him by the leg and brings him to the ground. He sings out lustily, and the dogs are called off. After this man was secured, the one in the tree was ordered to come down. This, however, he refused to do, but a gun being pointed at him soon caused him to change his mind. On reaching the ground, the fugitive made one more bound, and the chase again commenced but it was of no use to run, and he soon yielded. While being tied, he committed an unpardonable offense. He resisted, and for that he must be made an example, on their arrival home. A mob was collected together, and a lynch court was held, to determine what was best to be done with the negro, who had had the impudence to raise his hand against a white man. The lynch court decided that the negro should be burnt at the stake. A Natchez newspaper, The Free Trader, giving an account of it, says, The body was taken and chained to a tree immediately on the banks of the Mississippi, on what is called Union Point. Faggots were then collected and piled around him, to which he appeared quite indifferent. When the work was complete, he was asked what he had to say. He then warned all to take example by him, and asked the prayers of all around. He then called for a drink of water, which was handed to him. He drank it and said, Now set fire, I am ready to go in peace. The torches were lighted and placed in the pile which soon ignited. He watched unmoved, the curling flame that grew until it began to entwine itself around and feed upon his body. Then he sent forth cries of agony, painful to the ear, begging someone to blow his brains out, at the same time surging, with almost superhuman strength, until the staple with which the chain was fastened to the tree not being well secured, drew out, and he leaped from the burning pile. At that moment the sharp ringing of several rifles was heard. The body of the negro fell a corpse on the ground. He was picked up by some two or three, and again thrown into the fire, and consumed. 
not a vestige remaining to show that such a being ever existed. Nearly four thousand slaves were collected from the plantations in the neighborhood to witness this scene. Numerous speeches were made by the magistrates and ministers of religion to the large concourse of slaves, warning them and telling them that the same fate awaited them if they should prove rebellious to their owners. There are hundreds of Negroes who run away and live in the woods. Some take refuge in the swamps, because they are less frequented by human beings. A Natchez newspaper gave the following account of the hiding place of a slave who had been captured. A runaway's den was discovered on Sunday, near the Washington Spring, in a little patch of woods, where it had been, for several months, so artfully concealed underground, that it was detected only by accident, though in sight of two or three houses, and near the road and fields, where there has been constant daily passing. The entrance was concealed by a pile of pine straw, representing a hog-bed, which being removed, discovered a trap-door and steps that led to a room about six feet square, comfortably sealed with plank, containing a small fireplace, the flue of which was ingeniously conducted, above ground and concealed by the straw. The inmates took the alarm and made their escape, but Mr. Adams and his excellent dogs, being put upon the trail, soon run down and secured one of them, which proved to be a negro fellow who had been out about a year. He stated that the other occupant was a woman, who had been a runaway a still longer time. In the den was found a quantity of meal, bacon, corn, potatoes, etc., and various cooking utensils and wearing apparel. Vicksburg Sentinel, December 6, 1838 Currer was one of those who witnessed the execution of the slave at the stake, and it gave her no very exalted opinion of the people of the cotton-growing district. End of chapter 3